Welcome to the Big Bass Podcast, the podcast where size matters. My name is Terry Battisti. And I'm Ken Duke. And folks, this is a special edition of the Big Bass Podcast because a lot has happened since uh, one of our favorite shows was posted just a few weeks ago. And that show is about the Idaho State Record Largemouth Bass caught by Mrs. M.W. Taylor uh, way back, actually, who knows when, uh, at the time. Uh, all anybody really seemed to know about that fish was it weighed a shade under 11 pounds, was caught from Anderson Lake, and had been caught several generations ago. Yep. But uh, because of some of the research we did, and thanks to our guest on this episode of the Big Bass Podcast, a lot of new light has been shed on that record, and we're excited about it. Terry, let's bring on our friend Martin Koenig. Yep. Martin, welcome to the Big Bass Podcast. Thank you hey. so much for, for the time. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite, folks. Appreciate it. Oh, no, it's, we appreciate all the work that you did, uh, you know, once you, you know, saw the show and and uh, just awesome what, what you all did. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys reached out and, and uh, invited me to listen to that uh, podcast you put together. That was a super interesting story, and it was just really awesome to be able to dive back into the uh, archives and try to blow the dust off of this story and actually <laughs> rectify that record. Yeah, folks, Martin, Martin went above and beyond here. He really suffered on this deal because a, he had to watch our podcast <laughs> and B uh, he had to do all the work to get a lot of new information into the Idaho record books. Not only that, Ken, you and, and I'll even say myself, we were kind of, you know, you know, putting the hurt on Idaho for having such a, a horrible record keeping uh, deal on this fish too. So I'm surprised he actually watched it fully and contacted us. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that, Martin. To, I did have to suffer through that, but I wasn't going to bring it up. I thought it was water under the bridge at this point. <laughs> it is. Oh, you Thank can you for us. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, let me give Martin a more proper introduction here. Martin is the sport fishing program coordinator for the Idaho game and fish folks and and he has a fabulous job there he oversees in addition to his other duties he oversees the, the state fishing records and uh one of the things that really interested us in the idaho largemouth record was the lack of information about that fish you you go to the idaho record book and all it had was the name and not even really the angler name it was mrs somebody you had the lake and you had a weight and that was it and 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 martin that got us excited but I know on some level, as a guy who's in charge of the records program, that's got to be a little bit frustrating to you. Yeah. And that's been a record that was just kind of a mystery for a long time. And, you know, it was it's so old at this point that it's kind of fallen between the cracks. And I didn't know anything about it. Um, I couldn't really refute the record either. So it's been standing on the books ever since. And so this was really interesting to actually go back in time and kind of crack open the uh the the records that we had from this fish look into the archives and actually sh shed some light on it and i thought originally you guys were going to debunk this record as being bogus but everything you put together only validated the record so it was actually really cool and really gratifying to actually uh validate this record as being legit which was which was just fantastic because it's such a good story it was a fun story. And, and, you know, you say you thought we were going to debunk it. I did too. 
I really thought the deeper we dug into that record from who knows when, we, at the time we didn't know how old that record was. Terry said, oh, the, all the old record books and all the, I'm sorry, all the old state fishing regs in, in Idaho said it was 1955. Well, yep. of course we find out it's older than that, but I thought, okay, surely by the end of this research, we're going to be advocating that this record be expunged. But as you say, quite the opposite. And it was fun to have it twist on us like that. That was yeah. part of the, the cool stuff. Um, and anyway, we we did what we call a deep dive on it. We found out the name of the angler. The name of the angler Mrs. Uh, was Mary Alice Hurt Taylor. Uh, we found out, you know, her, her birth date, death date. Did uh, the date of the catch? It turns out she uh, she got some field and stream honors for her catch made back in 1948. But but everybody can go back and, and watch the episode and, and learn those things. What was really cool was uh, I had actually tried to reach you before we recorded the program, but unfortunately it was the day we were going to record the program. Oh, and, okay. And by the time you were able to get back to me, that program was already in the can. And uh, we were about to, to launch it, about to post it. So uh, that's when I sent you a link to it and also some information about the catch. And and we were so pleased and impressed that you followed up with it. Tell us about that process. Yeah, well, you guys made a really, um, really compelling argument that you found a bunch of new information. And despite having I, I don't know what you guys called us the and the first maybe the sketchiest record program in the country <laughs> i think we were just talking about that record specifically <laughs> martin and, and by the way folks hey for what it's worth here when, when martin did reply to to my email uh and they, uh, he had obviously played the podcast and he caught my little remark about that and and i thought ooh. Martin's being a little snarky here. And, and Terry said, no, no, he's fine. I said, I don't know, Terry. I think he's being a little snarky here. I don't blame him. Yeah, I couldn't let that one go because, you know, I've been managing the record uh, the record fish program for, I don't know, about eight years now. And uh, so I take it pretty seriously. I, I try to do a good job and make sure that our records are as legitimate as possible and, and that we do some justice to the program. So when you guys brought up the story, I was I was all in because I wanted to do the right thing and and get that not only get the cool story out there but also validate the record with the details that you guys found and so that kind of sparked my interest to go back and look at like okay if it was caught in 48 why didn't we have a date when did it really first get posted and that just kind of opened up this new story of of understanding the Idaho state record program for me, which was really cool because now I have a better sense of the history of the program and uh, how we got there. And there's still some mystery as to why the date was never posted, which is, I don't think we're ever going to be able to explain that, but uh, yeah, that was actually kind of cool. Sorry. I keep looking down because I've got the, uh, the original Idaho state record list uh from can't see it but so we went through uh went back and we have in our historical archives down the office here we've got bound copies of the idaho wildlife review which was the uh the department of fishing games magazine that we had for many years and in that magazine that's you know this is all pre-website obviously and that's where they posted the official record fish and so it started out in 1959. They first 
published an article asking people, okay, hey, we're going to start a state record fish program because there hadn't been a list before, like an official list. Right. And so they used that 1959 article and they published a handful of fish that they already knew about and already had documentation. And then they said, okay, let's begin. Send us your fish, send us your documentation and your proof, and we'll post your record. And so that was already 1959. So by the time Mary Hurt Taylor's record came in, it had already been, what, 13 years or something like that? And so, oh, wow. Yep. So not only was there a different, I think the original largemouth bass might have been that uh, Payette Sloughfish caught by S. Simonson, the nine pound 15 ouncer. Yeah, and that was caught in 1949. So a year later. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Mary's record was already older than that one and bigger by a solid, by a full pound. But for some, who knows what happened in 1959 as to how the documentation worked. And I don't think we saw that fish actually come in until 1960, I believe. Uh, maybe a year later when it was actually uh, officially published under her name. But uh, it's still a mystery to me as to why, it, it, you know, that article where they where they published it. Oh, yeah. And there was this bass from Anderson Lake. There's two new bass records show up. Also, one for largemouth taken from Anderson Lake near Harrison in North Idaho. The fish had been caught sometime between 1941 and 1951. The information was <laughs> obtained from records of the field and stream fishing contest. So that's really confusing to me because the field and stream records clearly showed the date and the rod she caught it with and the lure. So I don't know, you know, why that was such an issue if they knew it was from field and stream, but they didn't have the original record. Like that's still confusing to me why they didn't have the original date of the catch. If it's any consolation, what I have seen over and over again is that the states don't check other authorities mm -hmm. and in particular the field and stream stuff. Now the field and stream stuff is, is pretty sketchy in their reporting, but I think they had reasonable uh, credentialing process. You know, you had to have a couple of witnesses. Uh, at some point, a photograph was requ required, certified scales. So the field and stream standards, in many cases, were tougher than the state standards might have been. So, um, and there's a lot of information there, as you say. Um, honestly, in, in, in defense of the state of Idaho, I would say that the worst uh, record keeping I've seen in the world of uh, black bass records is right here in my home state of Florida. Uh, it's been uh, beyond shaky. And I envy you for having access to those state wildlife magazines because that's where Terry and I really struggle. You know, we can go and check yeah. the old newspapers. We can check the genealogical records. But except the only ones I really have are the ones in my home state. And and I've got those, but I don't have Idaho or Wisconsin or Massachusetts. And so, so much is lost to us by not having that. Yeah, and we have not done a great job of archiving these either. Um, they kind of sit on the literally sit on bookshelves in various offices, either in our communications division or um, we've got a an employee here who is like our part time historian, and she like tries to just gather as much interesting historical stuff as possible. And so, had it not been for Sharon Clark and her diligence to basically catalog all of these magazines and keep them from literally going in the dumpster 
um, we would have never found this stuff because we haven't done a good job of digitizing it. So it's, it's not even searchable and it's not available online, which is like just a huge bummer because just in the, in the times that I was like thumbing through it, I've, I ran into so many other cool stories of things yeah. we used to do and, and how we used to manage fish and wildlife. And so I've started to go through and, and scan them mostly for employees so that we can share like, Hey, here's how we used to do things. And there's something to be said for learning how we got to where we are now, uh, understanding our history. And, and so that's another reason that I was interested in this story. Cause I kind of have a bit of a, a flair for the historic, you know, historical as well. And mm -hmm. I just love that kind of stuff and feel like it's important for us to understand our past to kind of explain how we got here and, Plus, they're just really cool fish stories in there. <laughs> well, and that's exactly why you're going to be replacing Terry Batiste and myself on the Big Bass Podcast. Well, I was uh, hoping that was going to be the outcome, but I didn't want to bring it up. You're, you're too kind, Martin. You're too kind. Okay, so... That's right in. <laughs> so, so we kind of we helped you guys get the ball rolling on this by doing some digging and, and finding some things that... Oh, totally. That, that yeah. realistically, you know, should not have been top of mind for for the Idaho fish and game department, you know, you guys have bigger things to worry about, bigger fish to fry, bigger fish to fry, more important things to do. But, but we value so much that once this was brought to your attention that you move so quickly on it. I mean, in a matter of about 10 days, you had everything updated. You had a great article written about the whole process. Now, was that because you're, you're a one man judge and jury or, or did you have some protocols to go through and hierarchies to jump? Yeah, you know, um, a little bit of both. Part of it is that as the program coordinator that kind of administers the state record fish program, I do have a fair amount of leeway to administer the program, but it has really strict guidelines. And one of those strict guidelines is that we do require totally legitimate evidence for the catch of the fish. But mm -hmm. that was pretty well documented based on all of that stuff that you guys dug up. So in terms of the evidence, for me, that was a slam dunk. We we had everything we needed and then it was a matter of uh, working with our historian sharon who knew where to look for the, some of these things and then we've got a really good communications team in our web staff that were able to update our website really quickly and then they also do a really good job of giving us the tools that we need to publish news releases and write articles and things like that so it's definitely a team effort and you know I, we really overhauled the state record fish program in 2016 when we introduced the catch and release record division. Mm -hmm. And since then, we've probably published like 150 records from all of these different catch and release records that have come in wow. through the last <clears throat> last seven years on that program. And after doing it so many times, we, we're kind of like a bit of a weld oil machine in terms of like issuing the certificates, getting the website updated, issuing a press release, like. So by the time this came through, I was able to write a, write an article and, and update it about as fast as we can typically issue new new records as well. So, I mean, you guys even got it on KTVB, the Boise uh, uh, ABC affiliate there. I mean, that was Yeah, one of the local news, news channels <laughs> picked it up. And that's actually been one of the biggest eye openers for me with the state record fish program was now that we've like been consistently issuing new records and writing articles, uh, uh, local news and even national news. I don't know how they've picked up the trail, but 
our state record articles end up on news feeds all over the country now. Um, we had some state record coho and steelhead come out lately, and I think they made outdoor life and field and streams picking up a lot of our articles now. So, yeah, it's it's been really fun just putting the putting these news articles out and and watching them kind of get legs through the internet. So that's been that's been pretty fun. That's I awesome. just had to I had to put on the shades, Martin, because I since I had a chance to be on your your local ABC <laughs> affiliate talking about the record, I have signed so here here you go, uh, so many autographs, and the paparazzi <laughs> has been on me hot and heavy. Now, I'm 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 teasing, of course, but it was a thrill, man. You you've given us the biggest thrill we've had so far on the Big Bass Podcast. Um, well, thanks. And, that's that's a big compliment. I appreciate that. It is intended to be because working with Terry and Nathan is not all it's cracked up to be. And so anytime I can have something as fun as working with you on something like this and seeing the results, kudos to you, sir. Kudos. You're, that was very impressive. You, you just jumped right on that. You saw, you saw that there was more information. You updated the records. I hope everybody in the state of Idaho, has appreciates a, you an appreciation <laughs> of what you bring to the table because i think uh nine out of ten people who were in similar positions to you in this country would not have moved so quickly would not have been so uh, diligent about it and, and would not have uh updated the record so that the anglers who care about such things are, are being served so i'm teasing about my being idaho famous i am not but uh you know that was a lot of fun for us and and I felt a little bad that Terry the guy who was practically an Idahoan <laughs> didn't get to participate in those elements. Uh yeah, it's it is what it is, you know, you got a much better movie face than I do, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's it's now everybody knows for a fact that the record is 1015 and if you're going to catch the new state record, it needs to be bigger than 1015. And that's yeah. a huge deal. Then that's a, I mean, that's a big bass anywhere. Um, California, yes, Texas, is. Florida. Absolutely. And, I mean, that, and it goes to show you how just how big a bass that was, considering it stood for 75 years, which yeah. is just bananas that they haven't been able to beat it yet. Yeah. So there's been, and talking to my, my buddies that live up there and, and fish tournaments up there, uh, there's been quite a few fish over nine pounds weighed in the last couple of years. Uh, they get weighed in tournaments or they get weighed in practice. Uh, and the scales that they have these days are pretty damn accurate, you know, within one or two ounces. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's an 11 pound fish out there, or 11, you know, pound couple ounce fish. Martin, do we need to put you on the spot here and ask you where the next Idaho state record largemouth might come from? You want to pick a couple of bodies of water for us? Oh man, that's gonna that's gonna be tough. We we really don't have largemouth in that many places around the state. I think Idaho is probably more of a smallmouth destination. Um, mm -hmm. I think Coeur d'Alene Lake and the and the Chain Lakes. If I had to guess, I'm probably any of the Chain Lakes, 100. Cave Lake, Anderson. I mean, Clarney. Yeah, I think those northern Idaho kind of shallow lakes are, are probably going to be the best bet for a, a really big largemouth. Uh, we do have largemouth in, in some places in southern Idaho, Lake Lowell, CJ Strike Reservoir. Those are kind of the, the bigger largemouth fisheries. I feel like I'm missing one. 
You're missing Mudlake Mud Lake over in uh, the That's Idaho true. Falls area. Um, yeah, Mudlake yeah. was actually the first the, – when we opened up for catch and release records back in 2016, the first one, the first largemouth came from Mudlake. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, based on some recent surveys out there, it looks like Mudlake is still kicking out some pretty good largemouth. It's now, kicking out some big fish. <laughs> nationally, when I look at the state record list, one of the things that blows me away is that – the great majority of record largemouths come from from bodies of water that are 200 acres and less. Are there are there and a lot of them from say 25 acres and less? Is there a lot of private water that has largemouths in Idaho that that kick out good fish, or is that just not a not a thing? You know, there there are a ton of private ponds in Idaho, especially in the southwestern area between like Boise, Nampa. Caldwell, uh, we do see a lot of ponds out there, but you do not see really, really giant bass coming out of those ponds. Uh, a yeah. lot of the ponds are groundwater that can be a little bit cold. Right. Uh, we don't have real diverse forage species to like. We don't have like abundant fathead minnows and um, you know shiners and and things like that that are going to br- grow really big bass. And so I think. We also have really cold winters typically, so the growing season is a little shorter than some of these other places. Like you're just not going to see big, huge farm pond bass like you're seeing in Texas and Florida and places like that. But when yep. you when you consider the chain lakes, every, there's nine of them. So you got Anderson, Blue, Cave, Killarney, Swan. I can't remember all the rest of them. Um, they all average about, I would say, 300 acres. They're mm-hmm. all small oxbows. They're all connected to the Coeur d'Alene River. Um, and not many people, well, I should say, you know, respectively fish them. Um, you know, you've got the folks that come over from Spokane and obviously the North I- Idaho folks. Um, so that's, they're just essentially really big farm ponds up there. Right, right. I wonder if, too, if uh, Terry, do you have a sense of like if largemouth use the main Coeur d'Alene Lake and then migrate in and out of the chain lakes? Like, I wonder if there's some sort of benefit to like a migratory pattern in those lakes. So, when I was fishing up there a lot, my buddy Brian and I always talked about that. You know, are these fish actually moving out of the lakes into the Coeur d'Alene River during the wintertime? Um, cause we would catch fish in the Coeur d'Alene river at the mouths of, you know, the, the, the little, uh, troughs that would take you from the main river into the lake. And we'd catch fish oh, okay. all throughout the canal going back into the lake. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, you know, do you want a winter where it's still water or do you want a winter where it's moving water? I would think that they'd want a winter where it's still water cause they're bass. Right. Yeah, for sure. But also deep water seems to be a major key overwintering habitat for those fish as well. And so I wonder if they would migrate back into the main lake and then come back in and spawn in the springtime and then hang out for the summer. Yeah, it's 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 possible. I mean, it, it, there's a tagging you know situation for you guys. You know, yeah, we'll I mean, be I know... interested to understand that life history and yeah. that kind of yeah. Migra- migration. Yeah, I mean, I and I've caught actually two tagged fish out of a cave. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, and uh, both of them were over seven pounds, and I never heard back, you know, from the data, you know, what was, uh, you know, anything about, you know, where those fish were initially, you know, 
plant are tagged and and all that stuff were they like the little orange like spaghetti tags that were like hanging off the dorsal fin yeah they were hanging off the back end of the dorsal fin uh -huh. towards towards the tail but the tag was green oh it was green okay yeah and the first one that i the first fish that i caught that i was that was tagged was actually caught in a tournament and i never knew that the tag was there until the waymaster that was weighing the fish actually saw it he knew what to look for and, yeah and uh, sometimes those tags they'll if they've been out there for over a year they'll get all green with algae and you, yeah it might have even had like a bunch of algae like hanging off oh of it, it did it did so maybe yeah. that's why it was okay. green it went from yellow to green <laughs> okay that's an interesting story because if you report those tags we typically are really good about sending you a letter or an email that has the details of where that fish was tagged and when it was tagged but uh I'll like, well because I'll it was up. caught it was caught in a tournament in 1990 okay. it was the uh panhandle Bassmasters uh spring open uh may of 1998 and oh, okay yeah, yeah and martin uh, don't don't get him started on his tournament history here this is not <laughs> this is not good the show has taken an ugly turn martin i, can, I definitely felt it's going into the rough oh jeez. <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i could look you up in a in our fish tag database but i don't think that goes back any further than like 2006 or 2005 somewhere around there so this older yeah. fish i'm not gonna be able to find that one sorry buddy that's all right <laughs> it was a nice fish but i i think because it was the panhandle Bassmasters that were hosting the tournament uh -huh. you know they obviously reported the tag and they probably were the ones that would get the uh the right. information if they were if any information was sent exactly yep yeah, so I think the the next record largemouth is probably going to be coming out of one of the North Idaho lakes. Um, record smallmouth bass, I mean, it's got to be Dwarshack Reservoir. It it just has, has such a tournament uh, history or, a, I don't know, big fish pedigree, for lack of a better description. That place just seems to grow giant smallmouth. And based on the number of large smallmouth that have been coming out of there in the last year or two, I would imagine we might see another record here in the next two or three months. It always seems like the fall, October, November is when the biggest bass out of Dorshack usually show up. Yep. But uh, I'll be curious to see if we don't, if we don't get another record here in the next couple of months, if we yeah. don't get a record in the next few months, I think the chances of seeing a really big small mouth, that's going to break either the certified weight or the catch and release record. I think the chances of seeing that are going to start declining in the next year or two because the kokanee population that has been feeding those huge, uh, huge bass in there is starting to shift, and we're not Go seeing down. the huge numbers of kokanee as much anymore. And so there's there's usually a, like a year or two delay from the time we see like this massive bloom of kokanee. Um, the bass start getting on them. And then within a year or two of that, you start seeing these bigger and bigger and bigger fish. And I think that uh, from what I've been told, that kokanee population is starting to phase out. And so that huge food resource that has really accelerated those fish, I think is going to be going away. So unless we get like another strong, really strong gear class of kokanee to fuel those bass, um, it may be another couple of years before we start seeing really huge ones again. So we ran into that problem when I was living up there and going to school in Moscow. Um, 
when I first got there, I mean, you could go out there in the winter and troll for kokanee, which, I mean, you could catch a hundred or 200 fish in an evening or not an evening, but maybe in four or five hours. I mean, it was, it was silly. We'd, we'd fill up pint canning jars with the things. Right. Okay. And then by the time I left in 96, it had gone from that to, man, you can't even get bit on a kokanee anymore. Yeah, so, you do see these like kind of boom and bust cycles with the kokanee population up there. So, is there? Have you guys, you know, determined a, a year period for the cycle to to go full cycle, or is it five years? Is it three years? Uh, oh, like between kokanee year classes? Well, yeah. between between the boom and bust cycle. No, not really, because those huge strong years of kokanee are typically dependent on like really good spawning conditions and good survival conditions and so you don't have as regular a predictable interval on when you see those huge year classes of kokanee come back in so it's all just dependent on water year and water conditions that drive those huge year classes of kokanee so in the years that you have really good reproduction and good survival in the lake then you can see those like explosions of 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 kokanee where you've got just millions of kokanee in the lake uh and that's for a kokanee fisherman that's often a real bummer because as you described you know if they can fit in a pint jar they're not very big right yeah so exactly <laughs> if you're catching and that's kind of the typical story of kokanee if there's a ton of them they all eat the same thing they're only eating daphnia and plankton there's only so much plankton for for everybody to go around and so when the groceries are limited the size gets limited so you can have a ton of kokanee but they're usually not very big uh for bass anglers that's great news because that means the smallmouth get on top of them and they can shift from crawdads and move over to kokanee and then within a year or two, you can have this tremendous explosion in growth rates. And, and it's actually kind of cool. We can go back and um, using some survey data, you can actually either use scales or if you pull the inner ear bones out of the fish and you can use those otoliths, what we call them, and look at the annuli, kind of the tree rings, so to speak. Yeah. They lay down these kind of annual annular um, rings in the otoliths, and then you can kind of see the spacing on those rings. And the wider they're spaced, the faster they're growing. And you can actually look back at a bass's previous um, life and see the years that line up with with uh, tremendous kokanee. They have tremendous growth rates, and it's usually about a you know at least a year to two year lag. But then you can start seeing these like you know a fourteen inch bass might be you know, six or seven years old, um, typically. And then in years with good kokanee, that 14 inch bass might be like four years old. So you, yeah. you just see these like tremendous shifts in growth rates. And that's really what's fueling those, those door shack smallmouth to reach five, six, seven, eight pounds. I think our certified weight record was over nine pounds. I think. Yes. Yeah, nine two or nine three maybe yeah nine point seven so only about a quarter pound shy of 10 pound bass that's uh that's pretty impressive yeah. um interestingly it's the same length at 23 and three quarter inches as the current catch and release bass record and so 
that's why I was curious when we were talking when we first started, if you knew how long any of these really big smallmouth work is. It just seems like 23 and three quarters is like the ceiling for length on, on these fish. And Damn. Um, I'll be curious to see if we can break through that and actually see like a 10 pound smallmouth. That would be phenomenal. Well, to break the world record, which I hope Idaho does, it's got to be 10, 15 or bigger. Actually, it's got to be bigger than 10, 15. Wow. Yeah, that would be Excuse huge. me, 11, 15. Yeah, Terry's going to be run oh, out man. of Tennessee because <laughs> the, the problem here, Martin, is he's now advocating that Tennessee and Kentucky lose the world record to Idaho. So he will be he will be driven to the state line soon. And it's, it's not going to be oh, pretty. They're banging on my garage door right now. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know where you want to hope you land, whether it's Alabama or Kentucky or the Carolinas, <laughs> but Georgia. But yeah, you're not going to like the trip, uh, Martin. It sounds like your your background is is biology, wildlife management. Yeah. You sound like you have extensive knowledge in that area. Definitely, yeah. Um, I'm a classically classically trained fish biologist, um, but yeah, I. Came to Idaho Department of Fishing Game back in 2006. Worked as a fisheries research biologist for about seven or eight years, and then was a regional uh, fishery manager. Uh, sorry, regional fish management biologist, and then came to the headquarters program uh, 2015 or so, and started doing more statewide policy kind of projects, coordinating with outside partners on our sturgeon cordon, uh, sturgeon conservation programs, working on cutthroat management plans, uh, taking up the state record fish program, stuff like that. So I do, I'll do a little bit more desk work these days, but still try to get out in the field when I can. And then you know, a lot of people in the uh, wildlife management world also have cutthroat management policies, but they don't have trout, ironically. Uh, so, <laughs> Ouch. So that's different. Now, are, are you a, a native Idahoan or are you from? No, I'm not. Um, no, I grew up in, I was actually born in Nevada, grew up in California, went to school at uh, UC Davis and then Good later school. on Utah State, which I'm pretty sure Boise State crushed utah state yesterday but uh and then came to idaho originally started working in idaho with my graduate student research project that i was doing on cutthroat trout in the teton river back in 2003 and oh. then uh, back then you know when i got done with grad graduate school there was just not a lot of jobs around and so i ended up moving back to california worked uh in the sacramento area for a while and then finally Got to Idaho uh, doing a hatchery trout research biologist position in 2006 and uh, been here ever since. So good for you, man. I, I yeah. hear wonderful things about the state. Terry won't stop raving about it. You might want to put him on the payroll, some sort of chamber of commerce deal. Uh, <laughs> man, thank you so much for your time uh to record this episode of the big bass podcast yeah thank you so absolutely. much for your for your diligence and and an interest in in the thing that terry and i are so passionate about which is the big bass stuff and and uh the folks from your state need to understand and appreciate all you've done here to to clear things up you need a raise and, ken, uh, ken yeah. and i are going to be writing your boss excellent <laughs> i appreciate that yeah but but to your point terry's point earlier now, now the folks that in Idaho who are interested in big bass know that the the number they're chasing that eleven fifteen is a real number that has a lot of significant data behind it, and and it should be the record. So, 
kudos and a great story. For, I did a yeah, that. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would definitely encourage people to go back, view or listen to the original episode because there's so many other good details behind the story besides the fishing part of it. So that was. I thought you guys did a great job doing that because it just made the whole story so much more interesting. Well, thank but, you. Uh, but yeah, it's going to take a really big bass to beat the 75 year old record. That is Oof. thanks to your hard work is totally legit. So I felt good about that. And I felt good about publishing Mary's record under her own name. It felt like yep. um, that was the right thing to do. Absolutely. Very cool. Beyond cool. I was so pleased to see that and, and to see the interest you took in it was, was awfully impressive. So cannot yep. thank you enough for that. Cannot thank you enough for your time here as we, as we record this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. And, and we hope our paths cross again sometime soon. We're going to attack that uh, Idaho smallmouth record one of these days. Terry says we have to wait until you guys break the world record, but I'm not sure we want to uh, go that long. Man, I, <laughs> I would be tickled if that happened, but that is a pretty that's a pretty hard bar to beat, so yep. we'll see. That's a cool. lot. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, if we, uh, well, not if, it's when we do the uh, the Idaho state record smallmouth, uh, if, you, if you'd uh, wouldn't mind maybe coming on for part of that show too. That'd be cool. Absolutely. Let me know how we can help. We'd be awesome. glad to help out. Cool. Thank you, sir. You bet. Martin. And uh, we'll be talking to you guys later, hopefully. Yeah, Take definitely. Care. Gonna, you haven't gotten rid of us. The, yeah, not yet. Not yet. No, you got to get us on TV again, though. Every, every time we have you on. Okay. okay. I'll see what I can do. Let's go. Let's go regional or national next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no problem <laughs> it actually went regional <laughs> no, there we go there we go it, it, it I, played I just, in the northern part of the state it played in eastern washington yeah it, it went quite a few places that's want, good yeah i'm glad spokane got some got some airtime for that considering wasn't mary originally from spokane she well yeah, she's she originally was. from missouri but she lived in spokane and she was living in that's spokane right. okay. when she when she caught the records so yeah a little love for uh your neighboring state there it's a shame oh, good a native Idaho and did not catch the record, but Hey, still kudos to, uh, Mary Alice hurt Taylor and, Indeed. and all that stuff. And that record that has lasted a long, long time. I think there's only like one or two records that are older than that one. And, yeah. uh, one of Maybe them is the that... Sturgeon record, I think is pretty old. Oh, oh we yeah, were talking was... other States. Yeah. We were just talking other state bass oh, records. Other States. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, wow. It's... Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's crazy old, which is wonderful. I, I love those old records, especially when we can shine a light on them and realize they are legit. They're legit. Yeah, that was good. I'm I'm glad we didn't actually remove that off of the record books for lack of evidence prior to that. That would have been a major oversight. But yeah. uh I guess yeah, the speed of government is a good thing in some cases. <laughs> We've never seen it moved as fast as when Martin Koenig is in charge. Right. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> that's a big deal. Uh, Again, thank you for all that. That was wonderful. And, and thank you for for uh, your kindness that you showed to us in, in digging in. and yeah, Not being welcome. too offended. <laughs> no. <laughs> I have a tendency was... to run off the mouth occasionally. No, that was that was pretty minor. But I did I did have some fun with it. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) All right, Martin Koenig, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Okay, it's time to slam the door on this episode of the Big Bass Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We know your time is valuable and we appreciate your spending some of it with us. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the like and subscribe buttons. 
And if you can do us a big favor, please recommend the show to one friend, just one. If you do that, we could double our audience and that would be really cool for us. If you're a Big Bass junkie, check out our website at thebigbasspodcast.com. You'll find our Big Bass Podcast calculator. That's a lot to say. It's really good primarily for bass over 14 and a half pounds, so be sure you go and catch one of those first. Uh, but we also on the website have lists of state record largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach us via email at ken at thebigbasspodcast.com, terry at thebigbasspodcast.com, and nathan at thebigbasspodcast.com. Notice the trend there? Uh, please join us again soon. We'll bring you another story about another big bass that you will not and cannot find anywhere else. And what does everybody need to remember, Terry? Size matters. <laughs>